Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 730 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs>
A couple of things that we went through a couple of these options uh, before. And of course, people listening in their cars don't have our screen in front of us, but we're going to read it out loud to you as we go. Right. So we have Weirith, a large fiend demon. Josh, I already kind of feel like I don't want it to be a demon. I don't know. And I... I, well, no, you, we did. We brought this we up. We talked and demon about this. Was, demon was a bit of a placeholder. Yeah, demon is like our compromise. I feel like, and we might all, we might be over um, maybe overthinking it. We can just call it a demigod and just call it a day if that's the problem. Right? I, yeah, I, I don't know. And I think part getting, of me think, wants to call it an aberration because it's something that's weird and unnatural, and I just can't win. But we could I also maybe just call it whatever we want. That's There's true. No reason to call it any of the other things. Absolutely. I don't see um, any reason. So but we, we can also call refer- it a demigod. We can just say demigods are our own, you know, type of monster. Right. A demigod it's is a type of monster. It's contextual, right? I mean, it's sure. in, in the in the context context of Esterok, it's a demigod. Mm-hmm. And if it's not what you normally think of as a demigod, well, then you're not an Esterok. Right. So, Which is fine, because demon doesn't really perfectly... Convey fit. what we're going for. Right, because he needs to be something separate from, uh, you know, demon... Or Right, because Oregon and demons is going to be something distinct. We you exactly, know, and it, and it would draw too much. It would, you know, what keeping it demon would be confusing. Yeah, you know, maybe we just need to come up with our own monster subtype, like aberrant celestial, or you know, right. aberrant demigod. Uh, that's not just something you might see somewhere else. It's its own unique. We have our own unique thing because these yeah. are weird. These are weird, unnatural, not found anywhere else in the cosmos because it's the unique nature of Esterok and being locked, cosmically locked that has caused them to come into existence. Right. So, yeah. But okay. as of as of right now, <laughs> Weirith <laughs> is a large fiend demon who's chaotic evil um we talked about armor class it's still 19 with natural armor hit points ended up at 241 which is 23 d10 plus 115 so again this is one of those things where i have to sit there and i have to do the math with my little calculator because 115 is 23 times plus 5 for his con modifier 23 times plus 5 is 115 and then the average of 23 d10 added to that 115 equals 241. So again, I just end up, I don't know if there's a formula that uh, professional game designers use to come up with this. I literally just used D10 numbers until I got to where I was close to where I wanted his hit points to be, which is around 240, and yeah. settled on 241. Right. Still got a speed of 40 feet. Yep. So stats, gave him a strength of 24. I gave his primary stat as strength, and then his next highest one at dex. That was just sort of my initial take. Even though I picture him as being super fast, I feel like the strength represents the rage thing better? Sure. I no, I, yes, I agree. Okay. Because the rage is going to be a, a, a big component. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, looking at Mind Flayer, because we meant to look up whether Mind Flayers had resistance to psychic damage, remember? I do not believe they do. Um, they have uh, Mind Flayer has advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. That's very common. Yep, yep. Um, let's see here. Something me. Hmm. <laughs> The Josh Mutter as he looks for information. I know, I do. I have a very consistent... You're like... But that's not even like a (laughs) podcast thing. I do that by myself. You do that in real life. I can can attest to that. I do do that in real life. I'm just like... Um, Well, while you're looking, I'll continue going through here. We've got the con of 20, Mm -hmm. an intelligence of 18, a wisdom of 18, and a charisma of 20. And I love that we like describe this thing as being mad and, you know, crazy and... 
all this other stuff, but it's still like higher stats than anything you would ever find in a player. But that's because it's a demigod. A mad demigod is still going to be smarter than a normal human. Right. And um, I even, you know, let me go back to the, uh, to go, what's my screen? So even the charisma being high makes sense. Right. Um, because it, it's very, right. The initial feeling is going to be like, yeah, but he's like, uh, he's supposed to be like the god representative of like wrath and murder and terribleness. And it's like, yeah, well, that's appealing at certain points in your life. Exactly. And that's what, sort of what I was thinking. I'm glad you picked yeah. up on that. Yeah. When I gave the 20, I was like, this is a creature that convinces people to do horrible things. Right. You need to be convincing. Sure. And and he needs to be able to make the suggestion that you skin and flail your enemies and it's not repugnant and repulsive. Mm-hmm. Like he has it's to make it alluring. Yeah. And, and, and enticing. Um, mm-hmm. by any means so having the charisma higher is even though it seems kind of anti you know it doesn't make a ton of sense immediately because you're like oh he's such a loathsome vile thing but the idea is when he comes to you he's not so loathsome and he's not so vile right exactly you know so I gave him saving throws I, I gave him proficiency in four saving throws strength dex con and charisma so I'm sort of leaving intelligence and wisdom to the birds a little bit mm-hmm. um, it's essentially tr- dumb stat Exactly. Yeah. Intelligence and Wisdom are his dump stats at 18. Lucky him. Yeah. <sighs> For those of you who don't know or might not be as up on your Dungeons and Dragons stats, um, in 5th edition, 18 is like peak human. 20 so, is like the peak, peakest of humans. So 18 is right up there. Right. Yeah. Um, I gave him skills of intimidation, perception, mm-hmm. and persuasion. Again, yeah. tying that to that charisma thing. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. Everything else is straight up from the demon stuff. So he's resistant to cold, fire, lightning damage from non and damage from non-magical weapons. Mm-hmm. He's immune to poison, and he's immune to being poisoned. Yeah. He, he has true sight for 120 feet and a passive perception of 20, um, which is uh, 10 plus his proficiency bonus of 6 plus his dump stat of 4 in wisdom. <laughs> okay. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, he speaks abyssal and telepathy out to 120 feet, proficiency bonus of six. So we went over the ma- the wrathful aura. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that this is like the first place when I, well, you know what? I'm going to save this because I want to know your thoughts on the full stat block at the end. Okay. So we have our wrathful aura, which is any mm-hmm. creature that gets close to him or starts their turn next to him has to make a saving throw or instead of attacking him, they attack an ally or someone that we're, tells them to attack. Okay. Yeah. He's a, he has advantage on saving throws against spells and magical effects. And he has... Uh, legendary resistance. He has three burning hearts in his shadowy form, mm-hmm. and once they all extinguish, his reach reduces by five feet. Okay. Now, lore-wise, like the flavor text for this, which isn't written out yet, uh, we described him as as always being some sort of a version holding a blunt object and a sharp object in two hands. Yeah. Um, that's sort of where we went from a tornado of hands to a shadowy figure holding a blunt object and a sharp object mm-hmm. that then can be flavored by the perception of the person. Yeah. So I decided to call the blunt object Ache and the sharp object Bleed. They have names. There is weapons. So Ache is a 10-foot reach uh, uh, bludgeoning weapon that does force and bludgeoning. Mm -hmm. And Bleed does slashing and poison. And they're equivalent. Right now, just for this first draft, it's 23 of the base damage and 19 of the special damage. Okay. 3d12 for 19 points. D12 again. Uh, You know, I love me some d12s. Yeah. Um... What are you going to do, They right? deserve more than just being confused for the D20. <laughs> <laughs> Which is most likely what happens. Another one has touched the beacon. <laughs> That's a little... The beacon in Skyrim is a big D12. <laughs> it's true. Wrathful Whisper, which I made recharge 5-6. So it can't use it every round. It has to recharge it. 
Okay. And that's when it uses, it basically makes a cursed creature. They have to make, and I gave it the higher saving throw. Because it's recharge, I gave Mm -hmm. it the high-end saving throw. Okay. And I reduced the damage by half. Because I was sitting there thinking, it was originally doing like 60 points of damage. And Mm -hmm. I was like, it's just going to, even at level 13, even at level 13, 60 points of damage is going to take people out in two rounds. Um, yeah, maybe that's if, especially if it's leveled well, against one person. So okay, so against my Candlekeep Rogue, if he were to do sixty, well, okay, so my Candlekeep Rogue does the half damage thing. He'd only do thirty. Ah, but he takes. Um, he has. What do you mean? He he's got the the dodge thing. The art. Yes, but dodge. that doesn't. That only applies to dexterity saving throws. New. What? No, I'll, I'll, I'll have to read it to you. You're thinking of the other one. Oh, I'm thinking of Uncanny Dodge. Yeah, so Uncanny Dodge, and then the... Eh, I, I don't remember the exact name, but... Um, you take half damage on all saving throws? As a reaction, I can take half damage. Here, I'll read it to you. Okay, please do. Uh, just got to bring up my D&D. Beyond. Okay, well, while you're talking, you're looking mm-hmm. it up. And I won't so mutter thir- this. Yeah, okay. So I wanted it... I just thought 60 points of damage was a lot. So okay, And yeah. maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. But the other point was, I was thinking about this. This is an ability he uses to do damage to someone else, and... So he's damaging the target. The target is damaging someone else. And I thought, in order to maintain balance, you also had to take into account the damage dealt to the other character by the one that's being controlled. Okay. So then if right. I did yep. did the 60, then plus your barbarian hits someone for another 60, now we're way past its damage budget. Okay. And you have to attribute, basically, if you're taking control of them for a round, that's the equivalent of doing, like, 40 points of damage anyway. So I think balance-wise, it was smart to have it. Plus, he also doesn't necessarily want to kill them because he's going to heal half the damage they deal. Um, okay, so yes, yeah, so uncanny dodge. When an attacker, you, you you were right, but when an attacker that you can see hits you with an attack, you can use your reaction, assuming I haven't, to have the attack's damage against you. Ah, and you can do that how many? How often? Just as every it's round? reaction, yeah. Okay, so you can only do it against one attack per round. Correct. All right. So and we have the... Barbarian's can sometimes shrug off damage as well not psychic damage pretty sure they can't shrug off psychic oh this is is psychic psychic damage damage. yeah no this is the wrathful whisper okay okay i was going back to okay gotcha 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 yeah so right stoke the flame is the bonus action where he makes people take a uh wisdom saving throw and if they fail they're cursed with his rage right those are the ones he can do the wrathful whisper against Mm -hmm. um I added in that a cursed creature cannot cast spells and has disadvantage on concentration checks. A creature can use their action to repeat the saving throw at the end of the turn, uh, end of each turn, each of their turn. See, I'm already finding stuff that I should change. A creature who succeeds on the saving throw is immune to this ability for 24 hours. So the yeah. idea here being with especially high-level creatures that you would he would blast out, stoke the flame, and then have to really quickly hit these wrathful whispers because those are going to, my guess is, very quickly, the players are going to save and then not be able to be affected by this anymore. So this I would is like think an, so, especially an opening the gambit. That you're talking about yeah. exactly. So I'm sitting here going, "Oh my gosh, have we made this more too powerful? Is it going to TPK?" And in reality, it's probably going to take like two rounds for this to be completely moot. Who knows? Yeah. So um, go yeah. ahead. So now we're up to reactions, right? Yes, exactly. His reaction is okay. odious step. <laughs> I'm just looking for words for anger. Odium. Um, odious like step. It. If Werith is the target of an attack, it can teleport anywhere it can see up to 60 feet. I really need to see say that if Werith is hit by an attack, because I don't okay. want to negate the fact that he gets hit. So Okay, yeah. So that's just a mistake on my part. If Werith is hit by an attack, he can teleport anywhere. 
yeah. up to 60 feet. Because again, I just like the idea of him, he's constantly popping up next to people. Um, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Mostly that's the coolest he's, part, the idea that he's this creepy maniac who mm-hmm. can appear and whisper and, you know, yeah. Yeah. And then there's the wrathful aura Ooh. that he can hit them with because he teleports next to them. Mm-hmm. He has three re- legendary actions. We, we broke these down into um, controlling the battlefield, an attack, and a move. So just for the sake of simplicity... I gave him one legendary action as an attack. He can make an ache or a bleed attack. He can move. He keep clicking things. Um, <laughs> this is the problem with having a stat block that's built into a Google Doc. Yeah. Uh, Worth can take a move action without provoking an attack of, an attack of opportunity. And I love the, the... I was very pleased with the name for this legendary action. Yeah. Look what you have done. Yeah. And then all and creatures like within... can be taken yeah. both ways. Yep, look what you've done. All creatures within 90 feet of worth make a DC 16 wisdom saving throw. On a failure, the creature is surrounded by specters of all the people they have harmed or killed and is immobilized until the end of their next turn. So, immobilized in 5th edition. Let's see. Immobilized, that might not be the right one to use. I don't. I want them to be able to attack but not move. They're not petrified. Um, nope, you know what I need? I need to make it restrained. It's immobilized isn't even a isn't even a condition. I was not even thinking when I wrote that. And they are restrained. See? It's fixed. Until the end of their there next turn. So they can still make attacks, their speed is zero, attacks against them have advantage, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So this yeah. is the first stat block. This is yep. him in all of his horrific glory. Mm-hmm. So you tell me. I would like to know, Josh. Josh, okay. what are your predictions? For Wirith fighting high-level players, what do you think? I feel like he might get creamed. I see. I, I can't. I don't know. I, I'm worried that there's a. We lean really heavily on controlling someone else. Like he's definitely yeah. like a big into like. Let me take you over and have you hurt your allies. Um, he never does it for very long. It's always little, little short bursts. Which I think yeah. is ties in with the story of him being like quick rage. If you think about yeah. it, when people like lose their temper, there's always that like burst of anger, and then they go, "Oh crap, what I just do?" Yeah. So I liked that, but you're right; he might get creamed. Well, you know, and I don't know that I would have necessarily thought that quite so much until. And I love you, Todd. You didn't do anything against the rules, but this weekend when we were playing that daylight spell, we were oh playing, dawn, and he cast dawn, and he cast dawn. And the carving it, and I'm like, if if you have wizards capable of doing things like this, right? How do you, you know, now his odious step would help with that. I don't know. I feel like DC 16 is doable by high level characters, unless you have characters that dumped wisdom. Mm-hmm. Well, and then here's the other thing. Well, we ha- he also has the option of the higher DC, but I didn't think that the because um, 21 16 is as low and 21 is as high. So. Mm-hmm. There might be stuff he can do. We could work stuff in physically with like a, a strength-based stuff that has the 21. The odious step, here's where I can see this breaking down. So take Dawn. The Dawn yeah. spell does not target someone. He right. is... So technically, if Wirith is hit by an attack, right? Yep. Dawn is an area of effect spell. He's not the. He's not being hit by an attack. He's taking damage from an area of effect spell. He can't take his reaction to move away from it. So... There are, I bet you there's a rules, there's a rules lawyer out there who says, oh no, he wasn't hit by an attack. It was an area of effect spell. Mm-hmm. So does just stinking cloud count as being hit by an attack? Right. Now he, he then still does have his legendary action, but then he's burning a legendary action 
to move. And he can only do that once per round. So this right. odious step, he can also do once per round as well. So he has potentially, in a single round of combat, the ability to move 40 feet, teleport yep. 60 feet, and move another uh, 40 feet. And only one of those allows for attack of opportunity. So there's a lot of mobility yeah. here. Yeah. But at the same you know, time... But I think from what I'm looking at here, really, um, I don't think either... I don't think... I think we could just talk and talk, uh, and I don't think we'll come to a consensus, but I do think maybe it is ready to actually play test and really find out the weaknesses. Right, because exactly. Because it seems like that, we're almost wasting mind grapes and breathing on speculating. <laughs> when we have people, you know, when we have people... And we, you know, we have enough peers that are would be more than willing to show up with a character, you know, or two well, or three. Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's completely ready to to run it in like a an arena combat against three level thirteen characters or four level twelve characters. Or you know, I still think we have to be level thirteen. Um, yeah. But I want it to be at the level of being a deadly, uh, you know, almost too difficult to fight, sure. just to see. So theoretically, what you would do is, I think. To playtest it, we'd put it where fighting Wirith by himself is a potentially deadly fight just by himself. Yep. Now, when I design, and here's the other thing, all these design elements are not built on him being legendary. So legendary resistance might kick him from a 19 to a 20. I forgot to even take that into account. Like, you know, and you're right. And we're also, I think, inherently both assuming that whoever, whatever party fights Wirith, they fight him fresh. Right. You know, we're, Which is the we're, more the, the, the run of way how things go nowadays in a game yeah. of fighting. We're assuming long rest, then they go. Or all right. healed up, ready to go. Now, if he hit a party that was tapped out, Well, and that's the done. weird thing, is he seems more like somebody who would hit a party that wasn't ready. Right, because they're just settling go, down in the middle of a dungeon. Like, you don't go, I don't think, generally hunting Weirith. Unless, again, we said, I think, previous episode, a demigod, a different demigod puts you on that path. Right. I feel like he comes for you possibly or you get in the way of him and someone else mm -hmm. hmm. yeah so That'd i would really test, tell them they're going to do the talon cat and then hit them with weirith I... <laughs> no joke <laughs> but <Maybe> even... <laughs> i, I want ahead. to have i i really want to play test this i want to play test the talon cat as well yeah. so i think we need to like we need to sit down at the at the brewery and we need to yeah i think that's the next... record of record people in an arena fight with a couple of our monsters and just see how they go. And then mm -hmm. we can record that and then kind of do a debrief at the end. Yeah, yeah. And but for sure, that, that that's definitely the next step for Weirith, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I described the look at what you've done, Legendary Action. No, we just said to like the name. So that was... Oh, we like the... No, we did describe it, but then I know you did because I, I just Oh, Restrained, yeah, because yeah. we said that. Yeah, and I just, again, was like waiting for the player that's like, well, my character just got out of the, you know, got out of the convent and he's only killed the monsters we've killed you know to come up yeah, with what he hasn't killed anybody that's there I, I don't know i find it hard to believe that you're going to run into a character at level 13 or higher mm -hmm. that has not killed someone <laughs> right right and even if, and then and if it comes up then it's just like well you only really killed that one guy that i feel bad about fine then he appears a hundred times Exactly. You know, you're just it's, no it's, matter what it takes to make you thematically feel guilty and terrible, he, he's going to mm -hmm. be there. So, yeah. But that's Weirith, uh, listeners. So we've got three, technically, technically, mm -hmm. I think four, playtestable yeah. monsters. Um, I don't think we should hit. I, I think let's let's focus on the Talon Cat and Weirith for our first mm -hmm. playtest, yeah. but I think that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Totally. And it'll, it'll go. Uh, speaking of 
playtesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we should discuss Matt Coville's video that was recently posted on his website for MCDM about how they're building an RPG from the ground up. And I have some thoughts. Yeah. And you've watched the same video. video. Yeah, I've watched it. It was interesting. So we're going to put a link to this in the show notes, but this is going to be the text, you know, with, with full air quotes, the text that we're going to discuss for a little while here on the show. Right. So if you are not aware, MCDM Productions, which is Matt Codeville Dungeon Master, I believe, uh, he's a guy who's been playing Dungeons and Dragons for many decades and t- runs a very popular running the game YouTube channel. And he was on Legal Eagle during all the OGL stuff. And he is a strong proponent of Dungeons and Dragons and has a lot of big ideas. They put out a, some good books and a great magazine. It's a He's a big name in 5e publishers. Yeah. And as a result of the OGL debacle, chicanery, I know. <laughs> right. The chicanery. He announced that MCDM is building their own role-playing game and they've been posting the progress they've started basically play testing the smallest little tidbits i think he says in the video that's like it's like five percent of what they anticipate the final game being but they're already play testing and he says in it this is where i take i take umbrage josh umbrage okay. has been umbrage. taken umbrage he okay. goes yeah we're we're designing game elements live warts and all in front of you i don't think anyone's ever done that before uh, um well technically, excuse me sir yeah obviously he has not been listening to us since november Right. And we're, we have we're been kind designing rewards and all. We're kind of a big deal. We beat him to this by months. So, yeah, they're doing their warts and all uh, game design on YouTube live. You can sign up for their Patreon and see, like, even more of the warts and all of the process. So he had some pretty strong ideas. Do you want to kind of talk about what some of those ideas were? Uh, yeah, but I didn't get to take notes exactly. But I remember which what first one do you want to talk on? Because I remember the video as we go through it. Well, I was really interested in his like looking forward, not back. But they're like we can start right at the very beginning. He says yeah. that um, first of all, he says all DMs eventually become designers, which I also believe might be I don't know, sort of like the tenant of the fourth pillar of play. Yeah, Just call me crazy. That's yeah, sort of weird. what we were talking about. Um, yeah, that is it. That definitely did stand out to me as I was watching the video because I was going, "Oh, I feel so." Like we're I not crazy, we were... Josh. No, no, it's it's it is it is a little bit of validation, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely validation. He was the D. He was the Dungeons and Dragons professional mm-hmm. that the legal, like you said, legally used. Yeah. So, like, we beat him to a lot of this stuff. I'm just gonna say, <laughs> exactly. If Matt Coville's actually listening, we have the receipt. Good point. Yeah. At any point. Please know this is all tongue in cheek. Yeah, Not that yeah, he's we, we have, but whatever. Though we have the receipts, we do have the receipts. <laughs> but like <laughs> the the looking forward, not backward element is what I thought um, we sh- we could talk a little bit about. Yeah. Well, so go ahead. Okay, so the thing about the looking forward, not back, that like that was the part that I personally like. I liked. I mean, we talked about. It. I liked what was saying there. Like I got it, but I don't know how it applies to the design. Mm-hmm the design aspect of things like i get what he's saying let's drop these things that don't really you know i think what he i, I don't know i guess maybe maybe i interpreted it wrong but i ultimately interpreted it that he was basically saying um hey let's just officially get rid of the stuff that most of us ignore anyway what is the page he kept showing was it like the equipment chart yeah i think it was the equipment chart because yeah i think most people ignore that right you know i know i do well he says that basically part. 5e is locked into a game design from 50 years ago. Yep. The everything done with 5e is in honor of a 50-year-old game design. 
Yeah, and it, and it's in support of it. Yeah, that's basically his argument. And he wants to, and they're and what they're doing at his company is that they are designing something brand new from the from the from nothing. They they don't they're not going to worry about any of the legacy uh, debts to Dungeons and Dragons. They literally just want to start from scratch. And he wants to make it tactical but cinematic. Yeah, we so talked about wants, that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know I, how you can have both. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Tactical. But cinematic, it sounds like it's going to be like a lot of synergy. He wants people being knocked through doors and things yeah. like that, I think is the example he uses. Right. He wants people getting, you know, thrown across the room, not like a superhero, but like an action movie, which could be cool. It well, could so be cool. how could you... So one of the coolest action sequences in a movie that's awesome that I don't think you can... That, that wouldn't have been achieved if you could combine the two was Indiana Jones shooting the swordsman. Okay. It's cinematic. But how can it be tactical? Well, it's tactical because a gun sh- kills someone faster than a sword. Yeah, but he takes them out in one shot, and in games that doesn't happen. No. You know, it's like, so do you just throw it out because your player came up with that one time? Probably, but can you build a system around that? Like, if a player comes up with that same type of approach to a dangerous situation, that's cool, but you're going to have to throw the technical out the window in order to allow it to happen. So is that what he means? Does he build a system that allows for that kind of tactical imagination? I think that's what we're going to see. We're going to yeah, find so out. Yeah, so it would be interesting to see it unfold. But a lot of movies, a lot of that cinematic movie type stuff, I just don't know how that, how well that would work Yeah, if you take the tactical out. You would have to take the tactical out in order to make the cooler stuff work, I would think. I don't know. I what I thought was interesting is he says that they started with armor. He's like, what is he what does armor do? Yeah, because he was says he says that I want this to be a he doesn't want it to be a grim dark game. He doesn't want it to be a genre game. He doesn't want it to be uh any of that. He wants it to be a it's a generic cinematic tactical role playing game. Yeah. And he wants it to, it sounds like he wants a level of simplicity, but when you, when you start making a game tactical, simplicity, I feel like sometimes goes out the window. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm struggling with how you do both. It seems like he's serving two opposite masters a little bit. I could be completely wrong, and obviously he's the professional, but... Right, but I mean, he's I also be... a professional wading into waters, and I mean, it's essentially a honeydew list, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really hoping I can do all these things. Um, so, yeah, it could be potentially interesting to watch and see if if he's able to genuinely hold on to both of those, right? you know, both of those ideas at the same time. Because I just, I, if I were playing, struggle to see how that would work without just simply dismissing one or, you know, in service of the other. Right. Which maybe that, maybe you build that in mechanically and you make it, you, you figure out a way to, you know, quantify on paper how that's done. You know, even though this guy can handle more than one bullet, for what you're going for, I'm going to let the bullet drop him. You're throwing out, aren't you throwing out the tactical part in service of the cinematic? Well, he would probably, and just because yeah, he references, away, right? Yeah, well, it, it seems like if I were to use what he has already, or his company has already designed as a predictor of what they were going to do, they mm-hmm. made a big deal in their design process for Flea Mortals, the, the monster book, yeah. about. Uh, minions yep and so he's big on um uh monsters with roles yep and minions so that you have a bunch of uh, of you know disposable red shirts that are coming after your heroes so you can do cinematic things like swing an axe through four different people and drop them all yeah i think your indiana jones gun against the sword is probably a minion he would just say oh that's 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 against a minion you did damage you killed him yeah okay (laughs) but cinematically it's 
not really set up that way. I know. Because in well, the also, context of the chase, he's a boss. It, exactly. Because yeah. that minion can't do enough damage to you to make him a real threat. Yeah. You could say like, well, it was a critical hit with a gun. I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I do like his, I, I generally agree with his take on armor. <laughs> no, said, I totally started, agree with that. Like, and I think, I've always thought that, that was how armor should work. Armor should be damage reduction. Yeah. Um, and you pay a price for the damage reduction. Yeah, you should be easier to hit in heavy armor. For sure. Because you're slower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, oh, I, I agreed with those thoughts, Tony. Yeah. yeah, that that if we ever design a generic fantasy role-playing game, that will be that will be the approach I would take, is the heavier your armor, the easier you are to hit, but the less yeah. damage you take. And then the mm-hmm. invert of that would, of course, be your right. rogue. I mean, that's the whole point of tanking. Yeah, and that's kind exactly. of the whole point of tanking. So hit your me, rogue me, will be very it. hard to hit, but if you hit them, they're going down. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think you need to make them easier and harder to hit. So, right. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But it was a, it, it was definitely interesting. I mean, he has every reason in the world to be um, confident, you know, mm-hmm. uh, about it, and that he's going to be able to pull it off because he has the reputation. And he straight up says so it's going to be more fun than D anD D. More fun. It's like this, yeah. but more fun. It's like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. It's a very bold thing to say. He's he's kind of a bold guy. He's kind of a bold guy. Well, you you would I guess you know you would you would definitely have to be. You and know, the other to... thing I'll say is he leans very heavily in that video about talking about how he can't do it without crowdfunding. Yeah, the role no, of crowdfunding yeah. in five e game design is you cannot emphasize it enough. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. Well, I mean, what would these places you know what what would have been your alternative prior to that? Essentially, I mean you. are Essentially, gig economy and create, you know, doing a gig economy creativity thing. Exactly. Like if you're making, you know, you're depending on the people that are going to buy your stuff to support your people to provide them stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess what would you have done before? Just gone and seeing if you could get a game company to take a risk or a publishing house. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can uh, always self-publish as a PDF only, but you're not going to get as much. I, I know that sales for physical products are better than sales for digital products. I, I would be willing to bet money because people like to have sure. a book in hand. I know that I, I I never, never feel as good with owning a PDF that I purchased if I can't also have a physical copy. And even Mike and, Shea, who's a big advocate of get the PDF, get the PDF, is still like, yeah, but at the end of the day, I like to have my books. Exactly. Because there's a certain yes. amount, there's a certain amount of hoarding that mm-hmm. game people like. We hoard our dice, yeah. we hoard our minis, we hoard our books. Yeah, we hoard yeah, our totally. accessories. Mm-hmm. So, but it is interesting to see him. Um, I, I wish he would have asked us uh, about. <laughs> you, know, the, you know, are you guys okay with if I also do the same thing you've been doing mm-hmm. um, now for eighteen episodes? I mean. Exactly, eighteen full episodes. Well, and, and again, we haven't actually jumped into designing a system yet. Uh, we've we've toyed with the idea of maybe someday wanting to do that, just as we progress along our our path here. But right. that also brings me to something interesting. So th- that's the nutshell about Matt Colville's video. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this week there's been a lot of professionals in the game industry talking about stuff that is relevant to us. So yeah, yeah, that was the that was one that jumped out to me. The other one was uh, something from the Mastering Dungeons pod- podcast where they reviewed Shadow of the Demon Lord. And they talked about how the design of that game was specifically done. So it's something you pick up, play for 10 sessions, and then are done with. It is a genre-specific, quick role-playing game that is easy to play and is Mm -hmm. very tied to a theme and a feel. Yeah. And how that's smart game design because that's the kind of thing people are going to buy. Because no one's... The chances of someone designing something that unseats Dungeons & Dragons as the default generic role-playing game of choice is 
fairly low, I would venture a guess. Pathfinder has come the closest, and I think it's oh, a yeah. fraction of D&D, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and it's still miles away. Yeah, it's it's barely a fraction. So, And then you're going to have Project Black Flag, which, yeah, maybe a bunch of people are using Project Black Flag, but Project Black Flag is going to be a 5e clone. So at that point, are you playing a different game yep. than 5e? Or you're just playing like a, a tweaked version of 5e? Same with Level Up 5e, right. which you know how much I love. It's a tweaked version of 5e. Mm-hmm. No one is going to yeah. design a ground-up, independent role-playing game system that's going to unseat Dungeons and Dragons anytime soon. So well, is yeah, because this... that I mean, when you come to established systems, it's very rare to unseat it. There's still way more Microsoft, you know, uh, Windows operating systems operating, even though it's not generally considered even to be the superior operating system. Mm-hmm. But it's what, what is considered it, to be the superior operating system? Uses and unseating it. What's that? What would be considered? The I, I think pre- honestly, if you're gonna tell me um, Linux, man. I would say no. But I do think that. Um, uh, that the Mac OS for <gasps> specifically what it does is a better operating system on a day-to-day basis. I I know. I, I, can't, I know it's I can't. not everyone's favorite, but when you can make something that fits, you know, the operating system is for the uh, Apple computer. It's it, it it is built to do one thing, so it does it it does it better. Yeah. It is built I, specifically for a set of hardware. I will also freely admit that I dislike Apple stuff without ever actually ever having used a Mac. So <laughs> Right, I it's, just—it's a minor adjustment, but yeah, it, I think it's a better product. I think I think the operating system itself is a better product, but I think overall it just lacks the utility of a Microsoft Windows. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. so I know that creatives like to use Macs, and I have yet to bring myself to try it. Right, I mean, for um, what you do for the most part, you won't even notice the difference. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, but my thought about that was how smart that was. Mm-hmm. Do some so it's the opposite of what Matt Coville's doing. He wants to do a generic, you know, a generic action oriented role playing game. Mm-hmm. But like, there's also so much value in these short, you know, uh, slotted in, short, easy to play, genre specific RPGs. Yeah, there's a ton of value in it. And, and perhaps the greatest value in it is scheduling. Right. Right. Which is the biggest is the hurdle biggest to gaming. Struggle. As we still, I, I think it's struggle to set up second, our struggle. Yeah, I think it's the what the second the second biggest challenge. Yeah. I mean, first is getting a dungeon master, but maybe scheduling is even worse. So the idea that, and I think they mentioned it in mastering dungeons. It's like if you can say this game is going to last ten sessions, I it's a lot easier to schedule, you know, for folks to be able to commit to that if there's right. a start and a finish and a very solid start and a finish. Plus, by making the actual gameplay easier, it's easier to have breaks in between those sessions. So you might only play once a month, mm-hmm. but if the game's easier, that's not as big a lift. And if yeah, and if it's not excessively complicated, then you're not going to really worry, mm-hmm. right? Like, cause, you know, because uh, your characters get so complicated in Five E that you walk away and come back, and you're like, and you're like, can I do again? What was I doing? What can I do? Mm-hmm. What, what level? You know, what am I forgetting? And then, um, you know, I definitely, for me, it's like you walk away and you're like, oh, I should have done XYZ, but I forgot mm-hmm. that I can do XYZ. Because, yeah. yes, I just leveled up, but I just got X and I just got XYZ, but that was like a month ago. You know, that was two bouts of COVID ago for the group. And we just haven't right. been able to get together. And And that's where I see, like, if we were to design something, I sort of feel like I would want to design something that it was that short easy to play genre specific shadow of the demon lord esque approach. approach yeah with that uh, that fantasy plague world idea 
Mm-hmm. We've got, yep. for those of you listening, we have a document where we write down different ideas for the future, our TBD document. And yeah. we've different genre fantasy games are things we've mm-hmm. bandied about. But yeah, the Plague World one would be real good. Um, well, even Astarok would work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, because we were saying it'd be like a murder mystery if you could right. make these things limited. You know, you could do your murder mystery again with other people. People doing with you know, or or you could do this adventure more than one time with other people playing different uh, classes. They're all going to make different decisions. It's going to be different each time. Yeah. What's to keep from you know? So murder mysteries are very popular. Yeah. Why? What's to keep you from doing a fantasy Victorian murder mystery role playing game? Mm-hmm. You are a magical investigator brought into a in a Victorian setting. Where right. you have to solve and capture a murderer, mm-hmm. and that's and that's the game. You like? Did you ever read and or watch the show uh, Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell? Yeah, uh, a little bit of both. Okay, I I've read tried reading the book several times, and it's it's a bear for me. I found it to be kind of a bear to read, but I loved the idea of like, hey, this is just a it's Victorian England with it's you know Napoleonic wars with right. wizards. Yeah, that's always and fun. I just thought it was it was really cool, but like. That could, and I'm sure there probably is a Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell role-playing game. I'm going to look right now. Right. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell RPG. That'd be another one of those. You got hit by one spell, you're dead. Exactly. Because thematically, that would work better there. I don't see... Oh, no. Bloomsbury Publishing did a Victorian... Well, you know, when we're talking about building a book for a single world, I mean, isn't that essentially what Dimension 20 does over at Dropout? Yeah, they usually mash up um, the rules into different genres, right? Right. I can't find Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, but I'm finding references to an RPG. Yeah, people probably talked about it. Um, but it, yes, and that's it's exactly it. They, you know, they've done several different things. They've done like Space High School or whatever. Space, you know, Fantasy High, but those were all mashups of 5e plus a genre. So like right. the horror, Never After is 5e plus fairy tale horror. But one you could arguably take the never after write everything they're doing put it into one book and yeah, keep pulling and it off the shelf and you're doing different fairy tale oh, characters and, and that would be really interesting here's the um, we're gonna play the never after rpg it's a simplified yeah. horror rpg played mm-hmm. in a fantasy kingdom with fairy tales right i mean i'm because i was you know that's essentially what they do yeah. they, they each to each season they come up with well let's set it in this wacky setting and that's it it doesn't spill into the next they don't keep the campaign going on forever like a critical role Alexandria is a big world and sure you know each season he explores a different part so an era mm-hmm. and uh, again the other thing that came up this week that I thought was kind of apropos to us was mm-hmm. when in Matt in um the lazy RPG talk show Matt Coville or not sorry Matt Coville Mike Shea referenced M.T. Black's uh, Iskandar Player Handbook, where he took the entire player's handbook from Creative Commons, mm-hmm. pasted it into a 400-page document about his world, and yeah. just specifically changed the stuff to the Iskandar. So yeah. it literally is a completely redone player's handbook with it is Iskandar-specific mm-hmm. and charges people $4 for the PDF. An easy yeah. to read PDF for four bucks. But the other thing he does that's really interesting is he he puts it out under 1.0a because he borrows mechanics and elements from other RPG publishers that have also put things out over 1.0a. And this is where that license confuses me because yeah. evidently, as long as it's not specific intellectual property, anybody who's put something out under 1.0a 
Mm-hmm. Those mechanics can be then used by anyone else with that license. Yeah. So he just basically Which hodgepodged a bunch of other people's work of, together. Of what we're doing a lot easier. Yeah. Sure. Well, I, it, I joke about how Dungeons of really Dragonheim's corruption tables would work. You could probably be very easily adapted into Revergence. Yeah. And, and I think that's just a DM away. It, it, yeah, right? Directly message the dungeon dudes and be like, hey, just curious. It's, you know. And I feel like it doesn't hurt anybody. No. You know, no. as long as you're getting credit and as long as people are cool with it, um, even if it is legal, you know, licensing. Well, there's wise, legal and then there's being a that. jerk. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, uh, what is it? It's uh, ethical but not moral. Exactly. Like, you're not you want to engender laws, goodwill but, in the community in which you want to play. And right. Work. Which. You know, again, we now obviously like uh, what's his name? I forget his name from D and D said. You know, we police ourselves now as a community. Mm-hmm. You Part know, of me wants some... to email the the design team behind the, the Dungeons of Drakenheim and just say, "Hey, we were thinking about this," and explain to them what we do in the podcast and say, as an experiment in one of our episodes, we'd like to try taking your um, corruption from Dungeons mm-hmm. of Drakenheim and seeing what it would look like to change it for our world setting in our yeah. podcast. We mm-hmm. are not selling a product with this. This is all going out as free. Mm-hmm. And we're just, we know that we technically can do it, but we are just touching base with you to see. That seems like, yeah, that seems it. like, uh, I was already thinking about it. It seems like my department. Yes, definitely <laughs> seems like your department because it's interacting with humans. <laughs> I'm just a little goblin in the, in the cave in the dark, clacking <laughs> well, away on my keyboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, like, the agenda is it's a bunch of interesting stuff that happened this week, but we should end by discussing what we want to design next. Um, what do we want? Yeah, what do we want to work on next? Do we want to build a city? Do we want to build a monster? We've already built a monster. Do you want to just do you want to build a player class? We have the Iliastrian player race. Sorry, species. Um, I feel like I and I and we, I feel like I want to do point reach. Build city, build the city um, point range. And then we can build and see what that inspires subclass thinking wise and okay and things like that because yeah we, because we, then we, we'll have okay go ahead we definitely know what the verge is like we definitely know what the ground is like we're pretty clear on that we got a pretty good grip on it I, I think it's it's time to see how civilization functions okay so if we do point reach that'll be multiple so ladies and gentlemen you'll be looking forward to several episodes of us talking about the different aspects of the city mm-hmm. um. A lot of we'll have a lot of writing where we have to like write out a lot of the stuff about the city, but that's not a big deal. Um, I'm stressed about city maps, man. I wish I was better cartographer. But uh, how about you can start with you? You're not a cartographer at all. I'm not a cartographer. How easier, better cartographer? <laughs> but I could be a better than not at all. See how that works? Well, fair enough, I guess. <laughs> um, I just renewed my Inkscape, my or my Incarnate subscription for the year, so. <laughs> Uh, that that $40 that auto-subscribed that I'd forgotten about so that I can keep making maps. <laughs> but, um... All right. Yeah, so we'll do point reach. And then, yeah, I, I think I'd like to jump in. I, would, I do think I want to do the player species mm-hmm. and then jump into maybe some subclasses. Okay, yeah. So our city, our species, and then some subclasses. Yeah, yep. That sounds like a blast, man. I can't wait. It's going to be fun, yeah. So... Uh, all right, cool. So as far as materials to study up for for starting our point reach build, let's. Uh, I think we should probably look at the the new Cobalt Press book that we talked about the the cities and settlements whatever yep. it's called. Uh, what's it called? I forgot. So and it's across that the room, one. and I'm not walking across that one. We we referenced it two episodes ago, I think. Yeah, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So, <laughs> all right. Well, okay. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I do believe that that is all of our time for today. If you are interested in reaching out to us um, about any of the creations that we've put up on the website or on social media, we, we look forward to interacting with you if you want to send us some notes. If you want to look at all of these creations, you can visit us at www.fourthpillaroflay.com. All spelled out. And feel free to download the PDFs of anything we've thrown up on there. And uh, please like and subscribe mm-hmm. to the podcast on your plod cl- podcast player of choice. And don't forget to give us a nice rating if you like what you're listening to. If you don't like what you're listening to, like us anyway, because we like you. Yeah, just <laughs> very much. <laughs> we do. We like you very much. And yeah. not only do we like you very much, but we look forward to creating more with you. More with you. <laughs> <laughs>